Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today we have Yuri Skaja once again, and this time it's not about the war. Well, war is going to be mentioned quite proudly because you can't get rid of it, but uh, we have presidential elections coming soon in Latvia, and that's a bit of an important issue since here in the Baltics uh, it kind of shows our attitude towards the world and everything because our president is more or less a representative office, but carries a lot of weight. And our incumbent, would-be incumbent, Egil Slevich, decided not to run because, quote here, of of a too-conservative coalition, approximately. But it's just interesting. A bit of a bizarre situation is happening inside the coalition, outside of it, and how everything's going a bit crazy. So, hello once again, Yuris, and welcome welcome to the border. Yeah, well, hello, hello, yeah. Well, first of all... uh... When you say presidential election, it's an election by by the parliament. It, it's not like a big campaign. It's not Turkey. It's not the U.S. It's not any of the other countries where the the president has a, a different constitutional and political role than here in Latvia. So indeed, the president is supposed to sort of represent the the the, the entire people in some sense. Is this kind of person that is sent to uh, cut the uh, uh, the ribbon on new hospitals, uh, go to uh, uh, schools, go to uh, public gatherings of various sorts that are non-political, commemorating events in Latvia, whatever. That, that that's what he does, or he or she does. It's not really a big deal, but the big deal now is that this election shows the kind of weird political configuration that we have and have had since the actual election to the cyber, which was a popular election where, you know, as many of the population has wanted to vote it. And that is that we have basically a conservative-leading government coalition that is sort of tolerating the prime minister from a centrist liberal party, which is... Sometimes it seems to me trying desperately to keep the 
the liberal and centrist part of its politics from being too obvious. Oh wow, yeah, that was that was awful. I mean, Mr. Dombrovsk, our, our ex-prime minister, who is now in Europarliament, he posted on Facebook about you know statistical data about how economy has grown and all all, all this stuff, and it was the most technocratic least marketable thing ever it was it, i was confused about how can you boast something that will offend a lot of people because it was just another proof that it was more about showing the nice little percentage growths and and all these little tiny details uh, to make it look nice without any data that even like business people use to just you know show that hey we have a half a percent growth it's just so weird I haven't seen uh, this. You talk about Valdis Dombrovskis, the uh, BEC commissioner. I haven't seen that. I, I have seen reports that we are supposed to have had the, the strongest uh, growth rate uh, of the three Baltic countries. He posted something that was to endorse apparently uh, the presidential candidate because obviously he wouldn't have posted it otherwise because, you know, the same party. But he posted a purely, absolutely technocratic post on Facebook praising our growth and how Yona Vinotib, our central liberal party, has achieved this growth. And without any context and with meaningless numbers, with tons of statistical manipulation. It's just... Well, I'll have to have a look at that. The thing is that we have a coalition where, of course, the sort of the position of, of the new unity, Yona Vinotib, is pretty clear, cautiously centrist liberal. You have the National Alliance, which uh, is at its best. It's sort of a classically uh, conservative party oriented toward the Latvian voter. It happens from time to time when the dogs get loose, so to speak, in the National Alliance. Then it's pretty, you know, it's pretty uh, sort of xenophobic sounding. It gets into some nasty things about uh, partnership uh, laws and, and that kind of thing. And then you have United List, which is a weird party, but I would say also fundamentally conservative, socially conservative. These these guys are are the ones you you will find also opposing the uh, civil partnership law. You will find them uh, probably, although it's not a real issue in Latvia yet, you will probably have them coming down on the side of restricting abortion rights and restricting reproductive rights for women. And uh, they're kind of a mixed salad. The German name is Gemischte Salat of, of political views. You have the Greens who defected from the Greens and Farmers Party. But that, that, well, the, the Green part of that is gone now. Talking, talking about that entity, as best I can put it, was the weirdest issue ever because nowhere else in Europe or in fact the world you would see Greens and farmers making a union. That was a bizarre issue, which was historical for Latvia specifically, because uh, Carlos Ullmann, this autocratic leader, who was also kind of well-loved in, in this country, by the way. It's a long story about him. Listen to my historical episodes for that. But the very fact that they had a union was just bizarre. But now I think it's broken up, and it's just a, a bit of a bit of an interesting Mess, I suppose. Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, you can have Greens who who are all for domestic, localized, ecologically sound farming, and you can have other Greens, or you can have another Green viewpoint against industrial farming, which uh, you know the giant ten thousand or twenty or thirty thousand piggeries that we have in Latvia that generate the. Uh, enormous quantities of, of pig excrement that smell for miles around and uh, 
other practices that are sort of monoculture practices where you just grow one crop until the soil can no longer take it. There, the Greens have a good point against the most extreme forms of agro-business. But we, we don't really have that that much in Latvia. Latvia is not really big enough to have these massive cattle farms or something like that. But but so so I don't I don't think it's totally inconsistent for greens and farmers to be together. I mean the Dutch have their farms and they're doing pretty well. They're one of the largest agricultural exporters on the planet. I mean and they're smaller than we are territorially. Well yeah 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 they have somewhat different climate. Than- no that that is also true. It's it's cold here. Just saying. Uh, I I don't think that they're. The Dutch Green Party is fighting the the uh, if there is an agrarian party in Holland, they're not fighting each other. Uh, they they have uh, points of contact and points of disagreement. So I think the green element in the salad, known as the United List, is probably is probably not a bad thing. Uh, of course, it leaves the Green and Farmers Party a not greed, b still under the control of a, of a convicted criminal. Uh, Mr. Lemberks, the ex-mayor of Ventspils. So they're sort of a marginal, shady little party, still some seats in the Saima. What is worrisome to me in the whole configuration of the uh, parliament ahead of the vote for president, muscles that are being felt by the uh, Latvia First Party under uh, Einar Schlesers, who is not only a serial entrepreneur, in the good sense, he's had companies here and there and this and that, uh, but he's also a serial founder of political parties. And the Latvia First Movement is the is the latest one of I don't know four or five, and uh, that is that is a radically conservative party that is looking for uh, even you know doubling down on this this marriage and families can only consist of a biological man married to a biological woman, and uh, you know children and all that stuff. They want they're, they are really anti-LGBT. They are also were, up until the war came along, all for uh, extensive trade and relations with Russia. He had businesses in Russia. Those, those, of course, may well have been lost. Something that has to be remembered. Uh, he was talking about what a great and glorious future we would have trading with uh, uh, an economy that is the size of New York State less diversified probably in what it has to offer than New York State if you look at it that way. So, you know, that's something that makes you wonder about what the uh, Latvia First Party is all about. And then, of course, during the election campaign, they had a, a strident campaign in favor of this tightening the the uh, definition of marriage and family by yet another amendment. The first amendment that defined marriage as between a man and a woman and nothing else was uh, pushed along by uh, Einar Schlesers uh, back in, I think it was 2005. I think he sponsored these concerts all over the country. Concerts were nice. Nobody, nobody, you know, dislikes people singing, you know, sort of the Latvian Schlager songs. But then, you know, everybody was asked to sign this petition. Schlesers is a bizarre person. I especially liked when the Rigas Likes, one of our more intellectual philosophy newspapers, produced an interview with him. Unedited completely, and that was just something to behold, I think. Schlesers is uh, continuously amazing. This is where the, the beauty comes from, the intestines part was there. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. No, I mean, uh, uh, to, to be fair, to be fair, uh, Schlesers is not a Harvard graduate. Uh, Schlesers has gotten uh, an education by experience in, in business practices, and, and Schlesers was... was 
in some sort of a Christian junior college or something in Norway. And, and, and to his credit, he learned the Norwegian language. He brought a Norwegian companies into Latvia that set up a lot of the retailing businesses here. But again, you know, he, he, he then went off on his own tangent, you know, founded three or four or five political parties and uh, pushed along with this kind of uh, populistic, holy roller version of religion and politics. Latvian politics are always weird because we're kind of tied to our, our neighbor and everything. But, you know, just to get a bit more specific and everything, so we basically have three candidates. And it's time we name them. So we have uh, Uldis Pilans, we have Edgar Trinkevich, and we have Elina Pinto. Uh, well, let's start with Mr. Pilans. Architect, businessman, does a lot of business in Sweden and the Nordic countries. I had a really strange experience when I was uh, at the uh, OSCE conference in Stockholm in December 21, I believe it was. And uh, and there was a snowstorm. And again, another person that you mentioned, Mr. Rinkevich, had flown back to Riga a day before, or just as that whole thing was ending. And his plane skidded off the runway. So Riga Airport was closed for, for several hours, dealing with that situation, dealing with a snowstorm. So there we were all were stuck in Stockholm. And as I tried to board the aircraft that was later canceled, there were all of these uh, physically fit-looking uh, Latvian men standing around, 40, 50 of them, or if not more. Who were they? They were uh, P-Lance uh, construction crews. He rotated them every couple of weeks, and uh, the flight that they had been intended to fly upon had been canceled. And it turned out that P-Lance had been uh, working so hard and with such dedication on these projects that he was even flying these people on charter flights when there was no air traffic between uh, Sweden and Latvia at the height of the pandemic. I mean, they found out from talking to these gentlemen who were standing around. So give him credit for that. He he is, if not an international businessman, he's a regional a regional businessman and, and, and property developer and all that. But as I said, then again, he's got probably fairly conservative and not really clear views on a lot of issues. He is kind of a technocrat. He, he has apparently pushed the... Uh, United List into all of these uh, things that, that everything should be sort of run on a crisis management basis. Now, there are certainly areas of policy in Latvia that may perhaps should be run on a crisis management basis, such as healthcare and such as maybe education. But there are a lot of other things that it's not necessary to be in a state of constant crisis management. The idea of interministerial uh, coordination and contacts is sort of okay. I mean, you know, you, you it's one way to prevent the waste of uh, public monies or the duplication of services. But other than that, he's kind of a slightly green, the, the party as a whole is kind of a sort of slightly green, but probably deeply conservative and somewhat technocratic thing of some kind. See, that's the thing. He's the most boring candidate of all of them. Uh, I'm sorry, but again, I repeat, this is a representative function, and uh, he, he's efficient, maybe, but how about we finally have someone who writes their own speeches as a president? Just saying. I mean, maybe we could have someone who has like public speaking skills and, and all that whatnot. I mean, this is not a job that is for the so-called 
number pushers. This is for guys who, you know, kiss the babies and all the whatnot. Now, the, the other candidate, the other male candidate, uh, Edgar Zrinkevich, probably would do a very good job, except... Uh, he also has no spine. I'm, I'm sorry, but I personally believe that... Well, I think he's done a fairly good job of representing Latvia as, 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 as a foreign minister. He should be taken off of that job. I mean, you know, he arrived uh, in Kiev on, on the 23rd of February last year, had to make his way home by car, and uh, he arrived with a load of uh, man-pad missiles, stingers for the Ukrainians. I mean, that was probably on another aircraft. So He's good at his job. It's just that uh, he's very diplomatic, and I would say too diplomatic. Like, he's extremely good at that, and what I meant with, with like lack of spine here, it was just he will always try to do the diplomatic thing, which he knows best, right? Even in cases where a more aggressive approach would be better suited. Well, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, and, and he should maybe not be taken off a job that he's doing rather well, especially while we are still in the middle of this whole Ukraine uh, war. A lot of people have like been angry at Scott Adams lately because he has some weird political views, but he has a thing called Dilbert Principle, which means that in any sufficiently large large organization, you get promoted to the point where you stop being competent. He posted this about engineers. If you are a sufficiently good engineer, you get promoted to management because you are good at programming and you know, you're a good engineer. But then you might lack people skills and you are, well, quite bad as manager. And because you're quite bad as manager, you cannot get promoted higher. And But you also, you know, can't be demoted because you can probably pull through your job. And if you get demoted at some point... Well, then you are still an extremely good engineer who will get promoted once again. So you're so basically everyone ends up being stuck in positions where they're not qualified for. This reminds me with with like Levitz too. I, I am afraid Edgar Sinkevich might be this person. He's like you said, extremely good at diplomatic stuff. But I don't think he would be good president. That's not the job of the president. Except you have to maybe be diplomatic within the various interest groups and uh, political, uh, social. Uh, uh, groupings here in Latvia. You have to be able to speak, you know, uh, and appear before people in Latgale who may be, you may have to go to the whole Agluana uh, thing every, every summer. And at the same time, you have to speak to uh, LGBT community when they have their pride. Uh, as I think one of the president, I think Zatlevs actually sent a message to them. And then you have to, you, know, you have to speak to businessmen, you have to speak to pensioners, you have to, you know, the, there maybe those skills would come out, but then who would be who would be foreign minister in his place? There's talk of this guy calls from, from the National Alliance. I mean, who would be? You know, I, I have a candidate for you, Antislakteris, obviously. Antislakteris, right? Yeah. Antislakteris. Nothing special, of course. I don't know. I think uh, we have more comedians than him in the country. He wasn't a comedian. Uh, if, if you haven't heard this, dear listeners, uh, check out. This is a part of post-Soviet arrogance, so to speak. Well, who was he at the time? I think Minister of the Interior, I think. No, Slokhans was Minister of Finance. Oh, yeah, I think it was Finance. It was during the 2008 crisis, and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The... He, was giving, he was giving an interview to the BBC, or, I think, or like some Western media, basically. It was Bloomberg News, because I know the Bloomberg correspondent... Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, so, so basically, he was offered a translator, as usual, but, you know, him trying to show off his English skills... Or for whatever reason, he just denied the translator service. And then he made all of Latvia facepalm collectively because of how terrible everything was. I remember that. Yep, yep, yep. 
Well, definitely. <laughs> Two points. Did show off his language skills, so to speak. Not in the sense that most people would say. Oh, talking about that, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to advertise a thing a bit. I just finished, by the way, an article for Foreign Policy magazine, which was the hardest thing I've written in my life. And I'm really glad that the editor there, uh, James Palmer, uh, actually, finally, he showed competence and just showed me why I am not a native English speaker, despite that my English is quite good. I just... Uh, You'll understand this uh, because this is a, like a tangent, but quite important. I had to explain what panyatie or Soviet prison laws are to the Westerners. And this is going to publish on Wednesday. It, it was supposed to be a thousand word article, uh -huh. ended up in 3,000 words because otherwise, Institute for Study of War and everyone else, they just don't understand what Prigozhin is talking about. And that was brutal. If you want to read that one, go to Foreign Policy magazine because uh, that makes me money. <clears throat> Please go and click. <laughs> little ad there. Hello there, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Eastern Border. Dear Patreons, thank you more than ever for supporting our show. Your donations are crucial to keep us going, and right now all of your money is going to securing good information for you and to fund Kristov's actual real-life mission to Ukraine to report to you live about the war that is going on there. Also, we would like to use this opportunity to urge you to donate to other organizations that are helping people escape Ukraine safely and to defend the country for those who decide to stay on the ground. One such organization we would like to highlight is the Defending Ukraine Together Come Back Alive movement. Launched in 2014, the Come Back Alive became the biggest organization providing support to the armed forces of Ukraine. You can donate directly from their webpage, comebackalive.in.ua. Remember that no donation is too small. In this situation, every dollar matters, every cent matters. If you're uncomfortable with giving money to war, they do have a position on their website that they are providing Ukrainian army with laptops, lights, photo equipment, cables, and is not purely military. Perhaps that might change your mind, but remember you can also donate to strictly humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and others that are helping people escape Ukraine safely. Please also keep following us on social media for all of your latest updates on Eastern Border on places like Twitter and Facebook. Keep listening, keep yourself informed. That's all from me now. See you online. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Well, okay, we've sort of gone past Rinkevich. Maybe we can talk about Elia de Pinto. Yeah, that's interesting, because I have an interview with her coming up, I think, tomorrow, because they agreed to that. 
And she's interesting. Uh, she's real interesting because these two guys, I'd say they're not infected with, like, they are post-Soviet people. Elena Pinto is not. She's kind of special. She's uh, exactly a year older than necessary to be president. 41. She was a teenager or maybe not even that when, when the country regained its independence. And uh, I get the impression that she spent a lot of time out there in Europe, uh, that she spent a lot of time in European Union institutions at the same time clinging strongly to her Latvian identity by being part of the uh, European Latvian Association, uh, running it for a while and all that. And I think she has three kids and she's married to a Luxembourgeois diplomat or something like that. And uh, I think it is no accident that the progressives picked her because her views are fairly much in line with the progressives' views on uh, on uh, partnership laws, on diminishing inequality in this country, on being uh, openness, tolerance, all of that stuff. Uh, and uh, that's what we need. Uh, I am not sure that too many people are interested in having that, but... Uh... See, see, there's my thing. She is 99% not going to get elected. If we're going to talk about re-election candidates, Pilans is also not going to get elected. I think Renkevich is going to be our president. Oh, okay, well... I, I firmly believe that part. I do believe Miss Pinto here is there to become some sort of a new leader of the Progressive Party. Because Progressive Party is special because they are in a way, our new left. Because previously, you know, traditionally left and right in Latvia and in Baltics and in both of the sphere have been like pro-Russian guys and anti-Russian guys. Well, that was how it was viewed by the people. I think for Pinto, this run is more closely oriented to becoming the new leader of the Progressive Party. Although she, by the way, has claimed to be uh, not affiliated to any party, but come on, you know. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think that... Uh... The current leadership, they have a, like a, a dual leadership there now. These are sort of two figures that are sort of fairly known in in their their own circles within the uh, the progressive party. And the progressives had a couple of weird things. They had the previous leader there was uh, Putnis, I believe is his name. Oh, yeah. The, I think we laughed at him a bit when we spoke about our previous election four years ago or something. He, he now posts very provocative, uh, very provocative pictures on Facebook all the time. It's just weird. He apparently was was a pretty controversial leader in the way he was running things there. Not, not never mind his his uh, sexual orientation, which should really not be an issue and will not be an issue if well, it will be an issue briefly if 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 Rikiewicz gets elected because somebody has already dug up you know Rikiewicz's. Uh, Hi there, I'm gay. Uh, tweet from like ten years ago, whatever it was, you know, and 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 they will make a short circus of that anyway. But what Putis was doing, he was sort of uh, flaunting for a while his leanings toward a kind of uh, leather-wearing, sado-masochistic uh, direction in the in the whole LGBT thing, which I'm not really familiar with, but that. If you talk about what may grate uh, against uh, the average sort of semi-conservative but not totally intolerant Latvian, with, that is that sort of thing. You know, there I am strutting around Berlin wearing some sort of, you know, leather pants and, 
and looking, looking, trying to look sexy in the eyes of how people, you know, who are into that thing think is sexy. And that, you know, well, I could sort of look at that and say, okay, I'll put this out there, you know, it is, it is, it is, it is a weird hat, you know, and fine. But, but other people say, oh my God, you know. Certainly he is a personality, but it's just, it's a bit of a bizarre way how to act as a leader of political party. That, that, that says, he can do whatever. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not against people having fun. It's fine, but. No, he's not a leader anymore. He's, he's free to be uh, the dude on the streets of wherever he is, right? And fine. I hope he enjoys himself. Uh, now, Ellie de Pinto, she uh, does not. What creatures are, are waiting for her in the, in the, in the jungle or, or the pit or the political arena into which she's going? Whether as president or whether as somebody who has aspirations to, to be uh, a significant uh, leader of the progressives, or uh, well, I'll just say uh, relentless optimism does achieve some results. Oh yeah, that's by the way the thing that I've learned from Americans here. If you are in Latvia and you have a little bit of assertiveness in you, then you can achieve a lot of things, but not all the things. In Latvia, smile, uh, smile, and optimism is not enough. You have to have smile, optimism, and a loaded, uh, as they say in the joke, a uh, loaded cult uh, revolver too. You have to be a cynical bastard sometimes, which is the thing that I think um, a lot of people kind of don't want to admit. We we don't like to say that our political leaders need to be tough at some points. We, we like to be the very political people, the very kind of polite and correct guys who are like, someone has to be a nice person, someone has to have achieved something in business, all this stuff. We tend to forget that these guys need to have some, or ladies, need to have some grit. And I do believe Pinto has, she's a bit naive, but she has this grit in her, which is why I personally like her. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I would prefer her because I, I, I don't know what really, you know, uh, Pilates is thinking, and he he also had business in Russia, and, and he was actually called out on having delivered some sort of equipment that ended up in Russia. But but that, this may well have been before all of the the sanctions and everything. But but then he said, oh, the buyer was an Austrian company. I mean, you know, but he must have known why the Austrian company was buying that. Well, okay, dear American listeners, I have a short intro to the history of Austria. Besides Austria, Hungary, and all this, all this stuff, Austria was occupied after World War II, just as Germany was, except that the the Russians uh, left them alone because they signed a deal of, of perpetual neutrality, basically, sort of thing like that, which is why Vienna was the capital of spies for a long while, because the occupying Soviet troops left after the Austrian government paid them a lot of money. And, and promised to basically not get into NATO and not support anything, which is why they, uh, if you like, they until this day they don't even uh, condone, at least on a public level. You might have heard of every country on in Europe and United States uh, and Canada, everyone, but also basically the Western world, sending support for Ukraine. But Austrians have not sent anything, even though they have a bunch of very good weapons manufacturers. Just Glock, for example, Glock is Austrian. I think Beretta is Austrian too. They are stuck there with their weird politics, which have made them bed bodies with, with Russia quite often. Swiss have delivered ammunition to, to uh, something to, to Ukraine. Yeah, Austria has not. Well, okay. At okay. least as but far as anyway, I know. I'm just using that Austria as an example. That he said, that, well, really, the buyer was Austria. The buyer was not Russia directly. So yes, uh, of course, you know, after Panama Papers, this this whole thing about oh no, it's totally not. X is like super popular. I don't even. 
sometimes I believe that a lot of politicians think that their average person who's voting for them is stupid. Well, they're not wrong constantly, but, you know, th there are still people who like to, you know, use their brains. And, and when, when someone says, you know, real buyer is some, someone else, I mean, we can check. It is possible to check. So I, I just don't know why they even play these tricks. Yeah, well, anyway, that – and but what worries me the most is that the Looney Tune opposition in the Saima, the uh, Stabilitate Party, the For Stability Party, which is kind of, you know, represents local Russian – Let me explain this to people. Stability is, has been Putin's slogan for many, many years. Everything is for stability. At least Russia is stable. So stability is a term traditionally associated with Putin and, and, and United Russia Party. So that's why they picked it. It's kind of innocuous if you don't know what's up. But if you if you've been following politics, then okay, I I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. And they obviously they're not going to come out and you start waving Russian flags and with Z on them. But you know they you you could get to get the feeling how they are leaning into the wind. You know in this issue. Yeah, but they haven't actually. I haven't. They. they... Do you think their votes could matter in this uh, presidential election? Because, uh, again, we have, for, for my dear listeners, we have 100 deputies elected in Saima, in the parliament, and then they elect the president. So we have 100 votes. And and this party, for stability, I think, has like five or six votes, which could be crucial, but... Ugh. The one defector from their party, this lady, Gloria Grebtsova, who, uh, who is now an independent candidate. This is another Latvian political phenomenon called the wandering of the cat. So let us talk about Ms. Gravtsova because she's she's amazing enough that if I have you on the show and we're here, we definitely must talk about Ms. Gravtsova. She lied about her education and everything on her uh, kind of questionnaire to even apply to be to run for office. I think she lied about her education. She said that she's graduated from uh, law faculty or something, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Well, there were a number of things. There were issues raised against her. And, and uh, the lying part or the deception or the not telling the full truth part or however you want to formulate that, that was, that was the issue. Also that she uh, kind of uh, made a statement that the Occupation Museum, the Museum of the Occupation of Latvia, which covers both the uh, Soviet and Nazi German periods when this country was under foreign control, that she thought a lot of it was like propaganda or whatever. She made some sort of a kind of statement that was skeptical of that story and thereby was skeptical of the whole uh, or appeared to be skeptical of the idea that Latvia was was a, a forcibly occupied uh, and, and oppressed country. That's a popular myth here, because uh, of that one and, and the fact that uh, apparently we belong to Russia, because in the Winter War in 1721, 18th century, apparently Charles XII uh, sold these lands at the peace deal to Russia, which is total historical nonsense. If you want to pull out 18th century documentation, then all of this belongs to, uh, well, great mother commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania. It's, it's just, it's just bizarre. Forcible conquests of the past are no, no not, not legitimacy for uh, claiming the rights to own a country that has a democratically elected government and a democratic political system. I, I do have to make a stupid joke here, but uh, <clears throat> ladies in the lake hanging, handing out swords is not a basis for a legitimate system of government. Exactly, yeah, well, you know. If you can quote Monty Python on something, then uh, you kind of have to. 
it's it's a law. It is mandatory. But yeah, I don't know. If rolling back to our presidents, presidential candidates, I think Rinkevich, like you said, it's just weird to see him there. I mean, I don't understand exactly why he was picked to be the president. They are taking a major uh, risk at uh, sort of changing uh, horses in midstream during the, uh, the, the war against Ukraine with our foreign minister. That's the only thing that I see is kind of weird about the whole thing. Yeah, yes. All these candidates, all three of them, they were picked by their parties. There must be some argument there. I just don't see the logic because, like you said, he's just really, really good at being a foreign minister. Why would you want to push him out of this? And and, and he's like, who are you going to replace him with? Richard Scholes has been mentioned, but there are no clear. Scholes is a, is a National Alliance parliamentarian, and I think he's sits on a few cyber committees, and so he's kind of... All this was weird to me because, for one, I generally thought that Coles would be better off as a defense minister. Mm-hmm. I, at least I, I heard that idea. Maybe this is a shift to kind of fix their coalition issues, but it's just weird. Pilans is a businessman. But I think the, the real message in all of this is that there is a serious, quiet attempt to knock down the present government. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That is what is really going on here. I absolutely agree. And as I put it, I, I had a little article out on Substack where I said that P. Lance, which translates to English as duckling. You have to stop it. You have to stop it and advertise your Substack so that my people can subscribe to it. What's your Substack, Yuri? Yeah, well, look it up. Just look up Yuri's Kaja Substack and you'll find it anyway. I'll post this in the show notes. It's going to be there. Yeah. Post it in the show notes. You, you'll find it anyway. Pelance, which means duckling, is being used by the opposition and not by the entire opposition, but by the loony bird opposition in Latvia to cook the goose of courage. Oh, courage is, is an interesting case. I mean, as I see it, all these technocrats in power, they're really good when everything's rolling, rolling smoothly and you want a leader that, you know, takes a 5% increase in economy and like quality of life and turns into a 6 or 7% increase. Basically, you know, they can push good times to be slightly more better. But when crises hit... Ugh. Again, that is my more like rough attitude towards things. I, I do believe we need someone who can rein in the coalition, so to speak, you know, make them actually do their jobs, such as, you know, following our, our constitutional court, Southern Mestias, about the decisions and stuff. Well, that, that was one of the big failures that they failed, you know, that, that, that he let the, the opposition and in the old parliament, the previous one, the opposition and the, uh, the pro-Russian party, Harmony, uh, basically block the partnership law. Yeah. In 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 defiance of the constitutional court. That's what happened. Strapes was was very angry about this when he when he was on the show. By the way, that was just. Uh... Strapes is generally angry a lot of things. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, card. that is true though. That is, I I think that is the big game being played here. That's a tectonic shift here, and then we will have, thanks to the fact that the progressives. At the insistence of the, uh, I think, the National Alliance, but certainly also with the compliance of the United List and PLAN's people, kept the progressives out of government. And now we have this situation where the government is going to be out of government if this whole scheme goes through. And Schlesers is waiting in the wings to take over as uh, the Latvian Donald Trump.
I probably have to explain to this. Both the new new harmony, new unity party, sorry, new unity and the United List, they are both kind of partners in coalition in the government, and they are both sending different candidates for president. Like from the same coalition thing, they're they're sending two candidates, which already is you know causing conflict. From the opposition, at least progressives are just sending Miss Pinto. Well, they're sending Miss Pinto. They're they're doing something. They want to present some sort of alternative to this. I, I believe in Kev is going to get elected. They're going to push it through somehow. But uh, what, what's your idea? Who's going to be our next president, and and what's going to change in our in our foreign policy with that? It's not so much as as our next president. I think if Pilads gets in. Then the uh, Pilads will be the instrument of a coup against Courage. Yeah, but what's he going to do after that? I mean, he still has like four years to give speeches and kiss babies and give speeches mostly. Well, that's not important. He is the tool of uh, conservative, uh, reactionary, socially conservative, uh, religious movement here in Latvia. Latvia, Pirma, Vieta, Latvia first. And uh, of uh, eventually a uh, a pro-Russian tilt to things. A pro-Russian tilt would be extremely unpopular among Latvian people. We can't agree on many things here in Latvia, both our, our political views and everything, but I highly doubt that anyone who would try to openly support Russia would remain in power. I mean... Oh, no, you're right, you're right. But, but I mean, you wind back Schleser's a few years before everything got going in the open warfare in Ukraine uh, with the invasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was all for you know, trading with our great uh, uh, boundless market out there and transit business and everything else. He was all for that. He was one of these, you know, Russia's always going to be our neighbor. We have to deal with him, all that stuff, you know. Well, yeah, Russia is out there. There it is. You know, what else are you going to do? But, but the fact that a country that, that is a, a, a net exporter of uh, raw materials and that has an economy that's, you know, the size of a smaller or mid-sized West European country or an American state, I mean, that is not something that you have to be striving to have excellent relations or excellent economic trade relations with. I don't see the point of that. Then we come to the war part of this, because, you know, I think we have about 15 minutes to wrap this up. Russia in the future, that's the thing. I still believe Russia is going to fall apart in the minor republics and everything. And we are going to have to build this this whole new society, system, international system to work with them. I think Khodorkovsky might make a play for everything. But but how how do we even build after this war ends? And it is going to end with Russia losing. I there is no way. I have bet money on this, and I believe in my bet. I just, I just can't see Russia winning in any way or form, and I do believe it's gonna split up. But if it does, or if it doesn't, whatever. It just, how are we gonna build our relationships in the rest of Europe? How is our presidential thing gonna work out? Because we're next to them, we're gonna have to talk to them somehow. It's just so weird. It's just awkward. First of all, there, there will have to be measures to contain any chaos spillover. And that means that that even if the war, you know, if if the Russians are run out of the Ukraine, we should go ahead with the whole idea that Karin and everybody else has been mentioning that we need full NATO combat brigades in this country to react to any sort of issues. Yeah. Even after that. That could include, uh, you know, keeping sort of warlord armies from spilling over here, uh, 
dealing with mass migrations and all of that, which could happen in, in Russia. We, we don't know exactly what form of disintegration will hit Russia. And uh, some of that disintegration will involve reprisals by areas or ethnic groups that have been suffering under Russia all these years, not just past 30 years, but, you know, I would say going back for hundreds of years. And they're going to go and try to sort of deal with who they see as the as those responsible for their oppression, backwardness and, and, and suffering, uh, which made the civil war. By the way, another thing, I talked about minorities, including ones here. Our pro-Russian parties used to hide their pro-Russianness by claiming that they are defending the rights of the minorities. And, you know, uh, we have a recent influx of uh, Pakistanis and Indians and everyone here. And um, I spoke to one of these guys, and turns out that he's, like, currently all these pro-Russian people, they're very racist towards uh, our Indian Indian people who are living here because they're apparently competing them out because now, you know, uh, their politicians have to change the tune very quickly because their electorate does not support, you know, representing all minorities and stuff. Big surprise, I mean... Um, oh, well, yeah, yeah, totally shocked here, absolutely. There is a lot of latent racism, not only among the Russians, but also among Latvians here, uh, maybe less so, but... Uh, One of the things I understood, which I'm going to write an article about, is that um, what do you want if, like, 99% of Latvia's population have only gotten information about black people from gangster rap videos and Hollywood movies, and that's it. Right. We are just uneducated. We're not evil, I think. That, that's my view on things. No, no, we're, we're, yeah, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and, and I think that there are a lot of people who want to uh, sort of go back to uh, purely Latvian, white Latvia, and, and don't want any of this, you know, multicultural, rainbow, whatever, diversity, nonsense, as they call it, which is not nonsense. It is, it is basically the reality of a 21st century world and a 21st century interconnected world, and we're not, you know, I was having a debate with someone on, on Facebook here, and I'm saying that Latvians are, are, are not going to be like that undiscovered tribe in, in, in the Brazilian jungle that even throws spears at helicopters, you know, so. There are two options on this planet Earth, and, and there are people who defend either of them, trying to kind of remain more or less neutral here, but uh, you can either be multicultural and rich, or you can be monocultural and, and poor. And secondly, I despise the whining part. I mean, we should teach immigrants how to celebrate Yanni and, and celebrate our traditions as well. We should not be like, you know, suffering and, and again claiming that, oh no, everything's bad, they're going to destroy our culture. No, they, we won't destroy our culture if we teach them things and we'll just stop whining for one and do something about it, you know. That's the thing. You're basically right. I mean... People who are here, uh, I, I think the, the whole thing with the, the people of different appearance, most of the people of different appearance that we see here are not going to remain here for the rest of their lives. These are the Indian students, the South Asians, and they're visible, A, because they look different from us, and B, because they have uh, dominated certain professions such as uh, food delivery, and why do they do that? Because they have flexible working hours, and they're usually students. These guys are the 
are the IT company leaders of the future or uh, the, the engineers and technocrats and whatever. And they're not going to stay here. They're, they're not necessarily going to go back to their Southeast Asian countries, but they may end up, up in Silicon Valley. They may end up in the United Kingdom or, or, or else. This reminds me of how uh, whole Russian propaganda looked in, back in 1905 and 1904 when they had their own Russo-Japanese war, which Russia lost miserably. Just like they're losing now in Ukraine, where they were like, the Japanese are coming, the Asians are coming, it's evil and terrible, they're going to conquer all of us. They were also considered weak and stupid at the same time, because fascism is dumb. Fascism, at the same time, portrays its enemies as the superior force that's going to destroy everything, and at the same time, weak and miserable. And you can't only have one. And turns out that if you live by an ideology that makes no sense internally, then you will lose, because that's just a losing mindset. Yeah, well, you can wrap up on the, the fact that crypto-fascist mentality has got to go. Ah, definitely, because... Here, in Russia, everywhere. Why don't they make up new arguments? Because every time I hear these crypto-fascists speak, it's always the same bullshit that has been debunked so many times. Maybe they should, like, learn to read a bit more, you know, in general. I think that's a problem, yep. And learn to read in different languages and learn to read from different sources. Okay, thanks, Yoris, for this, and it was nice to have you on. And uh, Anytime. Let's see who gets elected. Yeah. You could also get that other guy with my last name. Matis, nice. I believe Matis Skaja, our very famous movie director from Latvia, made Neon Spring, amazing movie. You should watch it if you haven't seen it already. It's great. Thank you, and as always, happiness is mandatory. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border Show. If you have any questions or comments, go to our website, theeasternborder.lv, and leave a comment there. Or email us at theeasternborder at gmail.com. We'll be sure to answer. You can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.